Please open your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. In just a little bit, I'm going to read one verse, verse 11. Jeremiah, chapter 29, and verse 11. This morning, we're going to be thinking on the subject of living in the meantime. How do you live when your dream world suddenly turns into a nightmare? How do you live in the meantime? There's a knock on the door. You open it. Two policemen are standing on the porch. One of them speaks. Are you Jim Jones? Yes. Do you have a daughter by the name of Jane? Yes. There's been an accident. She's in the hospital in Columbia. How do you live in the meantime? Your wife has not been feeling very well for the last two or three weeks. The doctor orders some tests. A few days later, you get a call from the doctor's office, and he says, take your wife to the emergency room just as quick as you can. You take her. They check her out, and they put her in the hospital. After several days, the doctor comes in to you, and he said, I'm sorry, but your wife has a leaking heart. She only has a week or 10 days to live. How do you live in the meantime? You've had a hard day at work. You're looking forward to getting home. You open the door and walk in, and you look down, and there are two suitcases sitting near the door. And you call out, John, I'm home. And by the way, what's with the suitcases? And he said, I'm leaving. I want a divorce. How do you live in the meantime? Did you know that our world is chilled with the cold winds of adversity? Our churches are filled with people who are discouraged, despondent. Many of them are hurting. Some of them are only going through the motion of living. Some of them are restless. They're irritable. And some of them have even lost hope. How do you live in the meantime? Well, some people are bitter. And I'll grant that some people have more than their share of adversity and bad luck. But my question is, how do you live in the meantime? Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had invaded Judea. He had taken away a number of the Jewish people. They were now exiles in Babylon. They are near the river or the channel Kibar, and they are discouraged. They are despondent. All of a sudden, they have been taken away from their homes. They don't have a house in Babylon. Their careers have suddenly come to an end. Some of the families have been split up. Others are wondering, what in the world is going on in my life? How do you live in the meantime? Well, in Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, God speaks to him and said, Jeremiah, I want you to write a letter to the exiles 
in Babylon. And Jeremiah begins to write. And then he comes down. It's a long letter. And he comes down to the 11th paragraph. And, Jer- and God speaks and said to him, Now, Jeremiah, make sure that you write this exactly as I tell you to write it. I'm going to dictate it, and you write it down. And we look at it, and he said this, I know my plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Thank God for that letter in the book of Jeremiah, because it is a word not only for the exiles in Babylon, but it is a word for you and for me in today's century. I've divided the letter that Jeremiah wrote into three divisions. Uh, First of all, we are going to look at adversity. It has come to the exiles, and maybe it has come to you. Secondly, I want you to look at the attitude of the exiles and then examine your own attitude. And then thirdly, I want you to see the advice that Jeremiah gives to the exiles because he could have been writing this letter to you and to me. And so let's begin by looking, first of all, at adversity. You know what the word means. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, Job wrote in chapter 14, verse 1, Man that is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. You know what trouble is, don't you? You know what adversity is. You know what heartache is. You know what heartbreak is. I have selected four reasons for adversity. Oh, there are many more. But there are four reasons that I want to share with you. Because you might be going through one of these periods of adversity. And one of these may fit you. Why does adversity come? Well, first of all, it comes to provide loving discipline for the people of God. Remember, the Jewish exiles are God's people. They have been taken away into Babylon. Uh, They have sinned against God grievously. And time and again, God has spoken through Jeremiah and said to him, You tell my people to return unto me, and they would not. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12, God said, Return thou backslidden Israel. They said, I will not do it. In chapter 6, in verse 16, he said, Ask for the old paths and walk in them. They said, Never. In Jeremiah 7, he said, Amen, your ways and your doing. And they said, We are not. And then he said, Submit yourself unto me. They said, we will not do it. Well, God has no option. When his children sin against him, he has to do what any loving father would do. He has to chastise them because he loves them. And he knows if they continue in their way, they're going to suffer terrible consequences in the end. Hebrews tells us, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. When God scourges us or when God allows us to go into adversity, 
It's because he loves us too much to let us go on. Uh, Sometimes the adversity may come as uh, some accident, or it may come as sickness, or even as drastic as death. But God loves us too much to let us continue on living in our sin. And that's the reason he had to take the Jews into Babylon. They had to become exiles because he loved them. They refused to return unto the Lord. And so now God has to punish them. If you are in some type of adversity right now, the first thing you need to do is to examine your own heart. If you find some sin there, confess it, repent of it. And the Bible said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the consequences will be less and maybe not at all. In the book of Job chapter 5, verse 17, it says, blessed is the man whom God correcteth. Happy is that person who finds himself or herself in the midst of adversity because it may be the thing that will help you to get a closer walk with the Lord. First of all, he chastises lovingly, discipline. Secondly, sometimes adversity comes to reveal God's grace and God's glory. In the second chapter of uh, Corinthians, uh, chapter 12, verse chapter 12, The Apostle Paul is caught up into heaven, into paradise, and he sees some wonderful, marvelous things. So wonderful, so marvelous that he can't even speak of him. But there is a possibility that he might become proud because of what he has seen. And so the Bible said God gave him a thorn in the flesh to buffet him. Three times the scripture says that he prayed, he asked God to forgive, to take the the thorn away. And God said, no, Paul, I'm not going to take it away. But my grace will be sufficient for you. And when he heard those words from God, he said, I will delight in weakness, insult, hardship, and difficulties. Let it come, Lord because your grace is sufficient. Did you know that the problem that you are having right now may be the thing that God is going to bring glory to himself through your life? Remember that adversity is not always your enemy. Adversity may be the best friend that you have to stop you from doing something that's wrong and that will hurt you. There's a third reason for adversity to come, and that is to encourage spiritual growth. Uh, You know, sometimes we don't like to go through the process of growing because there has to be some work done. But I want to declare that trials are designed to promote spiritual development. You'll never grow up to be a solid, mature believer in Christ without some trials in your life. Thank God for the valleys. Did you know that if we did not have valleys, we wouldn't have mountain peaks? Thank God for the rain. If we didn't have rain, we'd have desert and death. 
Thank God for those times when we find ourselves in the valley because God has said, I'll walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death and you can fear no evil. Without the clouds, there'd be no rain and without the cross, there'd be no crown. And I look forward to a crown. So let the adversity come. Let it come whatever may that you and I may grow to be stronger in Christ. There's a fourth reason for adversity, and that is to enhance Christian service. You say, well, I'm already doing everything I can possibly do, but there's always something else that God may want you to do. And so my advice to you is don't let your problems get you down, but allow your problems to become stepping stones that you might have a closer walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Try your best to day by day commit yourself to the Lord Jesus. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 3, the trying of your faith worketh patience. And we cannot become good, godly men and women without patience and the love of God. I like what we read in Psalm 119, verse 67. The writer said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey thy word. Adversity produces fruitful righteousness in the life of an individual. But let's move on from adversity to attitude. Now, what about the attitude of the exiles? Uh, what were they thinking? Well, I find three things that they were doing. They were thinking three attitudes. Uh, first of all, the attitudes were despondent. Well, you can imagine so, can't you? Their lives have been all of a sudden disrupted. Uh, they are despondent. Optimism has given way to pessimism. And they're looking at everything through clouded, dark eyes. Their careers have been interrupted. Uh, their homes are desolate back in Judea, and they have no houses in, in Babylon. Uh, all of a sudden, they have gone from prosperity to poverty, and all of this has altered their outlook on life. They have nothing to live for. They have no hope for the future. What is there for me? There seems to be absolutely nothing and so they are despondent. Secondly, they felt that God had deserted them. Uh, sitting down talking with one another, one of them might have said, well, could not God have prevented our being taken into captivity? Another one might have spoken out and said, well, does God no longer love us? And if they had asked those questions, they would have been wrong in doubting God in any way in their life. You know, Job could have asked the same question. I don't know of any man that suffered more than Job did, losing all of his possessions, losing his family. Uh, he could have questioned the love of God for him, but he did not. Instead, he said, God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, nothing is so sad as those who have no hope. He who has a hope to live can almost endure any how to live. 
don't lose your hope. When everything looks bleak and black, don't lose your hope. Thirdly, uh, the exiles had lost their song. If you go to Psalm number 137, verses 1 through 4, you'll find these Jewish exiles sitting down by the river Kibar, and they have hanged their lyras on willow branches. Now remember that lyras and harps are made to play. They are not to hang uselessly on willow branches, but they have taken them and hanged them on, their, on the willow branches because they have lost their song. And to top it off, the Babylonians come by and taunt them and say to them, sing one of the songs of Zion for us. And they said, how can we sing a song of Zion in a strange land? Listen, you better learn how to sing in a strange land because you're going to find yourself in it time and time again. Back in the mid-60s, during the civil rights uh, struggle, uh, there was a poem that was written by Myra Angelou. It's a, a quite a long poem. I'm not going to quote it all, but I am going to quote a couple of verses of it because it speaks to those who find themselves in the midst of adversity. The title of the poem is, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Listen to what she said. A free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream to the current ends. And then he dips his wing in the orange ray sun and claims the sky. But the bird stalks down in his narrow cage, seldom able to see through the barge of rage. His wings are clipped, his feet are tied, so he opens his throat and sings. That's why the cage bird sings. That's why you and I, in the midst of adversity, whatever it may be, we need to lift our voices and sing. Paul and Silas knew that. Their backs had been beaten. Blood was pouring out of the places on their backs. They were put in the innermost dungeon in Philippi. Their hands and feet were in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul said to Silas, let's sing a duet. And they began to sing. And when they began to sing, God said to his earthquake angel, I want you to go down and shake that jail and let my servants know I know where they are. And as a result of their singing, the Philippian jailer and all of his family members were saved and we will see them in heaven one day. Don't forget how to sing. When you have your prayer time in the morning, sing a song afterwards. When you read your scriptures, sing a song afterward. You say, I don't feel like singing, then sing anyway. Go ahead and sing, and it'll bless your heart if you will learn how to sing. Well, let me come quickly to some advice to give to you. And again, I've chosen five things that I'll just mention the same advice that Jeremiah gave to the exiles in Babylon, I want to give to you and to me, of course, today. And number one, accept your present state of things. Won't do you any good to try to deny it or fight against it. Go ahead and accept your present state of things. Uh, keep on living your life as you would live it if you were not in 
those particular circumstances. Learn to live with the problems that you may have. Do not allow circumstances to destroy your life and to make you miserable here and miserable in the end. Stop brooding over the misery that you may find yourself in. Remember this, nothing is able to enslave a serviceable man. Uh, you may sell him into slavery. You may discredit his name. You may toss him into prison, but eventually he'll become the prime minister of Egypt. Joseph said, I'll not let adversity keep me down. Remember that adversity is not a hole from which you cannot climb out because God has already promised to let down a rope and to pull you out so that you might have joy in your life. Accept your present state of things. Secondly, adjust a change in your life. Our lives are always changing, but you and I need to adjust to it. We need to learn how to cope with the pressures of the day. Ella Wilcox wrote, some ships sail east and another west, while the self-same breezes blow. Tis the set of the sail and not the gale that sends them where they go. Set your sail. Make sure that you don't allow the breezes and the adversity of life to destroy the way you live now. You know, one of the great freedoms that God has given to his people is the freedom of choice. And so you and I have a choice about our attitude toward our problems. Well, you say, how can I make the right choice? Well, the Apostle Paul deals with it in the book of Philippians. He said, forgetting those things which are behind, pressing on under those things which are before. Remember that the future belongs to those who are willing to accept it. Uh, Jeremiah says something in the earlier verses of chapter 29. He said to the exiles, now you're going to be in Babylon for a while. Go ahead and build houses, plant crops, let your children marry, and uh, pray for the peace of the country in which you live. In other words, he was saying, go on with the normal functions of life. Thirdly, acknowledge God's providence in your life. You know, we sometimes glibly say God's in control. Well, he is until we find ourselves in adversity, and then we're not so sure. We say God is in control, but many times we don't act that way. When trouble comes, many times we despair as if God has suddenly died and he doesn't care anymore about us, but he does. Remember this, the closer you get to God during adversity, the easier the pain will be to bear. Whatever may come your way, he's still Lord and you can trust him. Remember, he's infinite in power and wisdom and love. And he wants the very best for you and for me. I suppose one of, the, one of the main stories in my life is to think about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You'll find it in John's Gospel, chapter 11. Uh, Jesus loved those three people, and they loved him. And Jesus is in Galilee, 
And they are living in Judea, near Jerusalem. Lazarus becomes ill. The sisters send a message to tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. He waits two days more. He doesn't come. I can imagine what's going on in the life of Mary and Martha. Martha may have said to Mary, well, I thought he loved us, but I'm not so sure he does now. He hasn't come. And Mary may have said, well, he's busy with a lot of other things, and that's the reason he hasn't come. But you know, whatever they might have thought about Jesus, they were wrong. Because Jesus came on the fourth day, and he said to them, don't worry about it. Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. And God raised Lazarus from the dead and displayed his glory. And they saw the wonder and the glory of Almighty God. You know, God always does things well, doesn't he? I've never found him doing anything wrong. Do you know that it was after Milton became blind that he wrote his greatest literature? It was after Handel's right side became paralyzed that he wrote his masterpieces. Think of the Hallelujah Chorus. It was while Bunyan was in a bed for jail that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, probably the greatest book ever written outside of the Bible. It came about because he was devoted completely to God. Remember that God is too loving to be unkind and he's too wise to make a mistake. He has never made a mistake in your life and mine. Let's come to another thing quickly, and that is to appropriate God's provision. Have you appropriated it? And that means take possession of it. Have you taken possession of God's provision? You won't do it by complaining. How do we take possession of God's provision? Well, begin to thank God for all the good things he's done for you. Remember this, he has given you new life. He has made you a citizen in heaven. He has adopted you into his family. He has blessed you with friends, family members who stand by you. He has assured you that he will supply every one of your needs. And so then thank God for what he has done in your life. And then the final one is this ascertain God's perspective. I mean, look at your adversity or your suffering through the lens of Jesus. You know, the Babylonians said, we're going to be here 70 years. Jeremiah had told them that. Well, what is 70 years compared to eternity? It's a very short span. It's a little while. Did you know God has limited and measured every bit of adversity that you and I may ever go through. And then God said in verse 11 of Jeremiah, I have a plan for you, a plan to prosper you and not harm you, a plan to give you hope and a future. God is going to give you a future. Now some of you are saying something like this. You're saying, well, that's easy for you to say because you don't know the circumstances in which I am in right now, don't I? Well, remember that knock on the door when I began to introduce the sermon? That was not Jim Jones, that was Jesse Powers that answered the door. 
And two policemen said to me, your daughter has been in a wreck and she's in the hospital in Columbia. They didn't tell me she was dead. How do you live in the meantime? It was my wife that the doctor said to me, she has a week or 10 days to live. How do you live in the meantime? Listen, I know where you are. I sat where you are now sitting and I can proclaim to you that Jesus Christ is able to meet every need in your life. If you do not know him as Savior, we're going to invite you in just a minute to come and to surrender yourself to him because you need him in life and you need him in death. And if you find yourself so marred down with problems you can't stand it, bring it to Jesus. Maybe you want to come and kneel at the altar as a family or individually. Or maybe you want to join this church, become a part of it, whatever it is. I want to ask you to come. Let Jesus meet the need. Brother Randy will be here to meet you and to talk with you and to pray with you. And some of us will help you. Whatever need you may have, that need can and will be met in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And now, Heavenly Father, we have heard your word and you've spoken unto us about some particular thing. If it is for salvation, bring those who are lost. If it is for rededication of life, let it happen today. If some family needs to become a part of this fellowship so that they have someone to help them through the days of adversity, let them come. And for it, we will thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.